Hello everybody and welcome back to Talk L&D. We're now on to episode six um, and I'm so excited. We've got our first guest today. We've got the lovely Simon Hall um, who is going to come on and talk about his career experience. So um, Simon Hall um, was a BBC TV reporter, deputy news editor and news correspondent and then he ventured into writing and um, becoming a successful author of seven books. That's right, isn't it, Simon? It's eight now, actually. Oh, eight, eight <laughs> books. Um, and then he he ventured out into teaching, um, creative writing and journalism, and is now a tutor at the University of Cambridge, as well as having his own business. Very busy man. So thank you very much for taking the time to come speak to us. And Alex and I actually attended Simon's story writing um, course, which he put on very kindly during lockdown, which was an hour of pure joy every Thursday evening, um, thanks to Simon's fun and engaging teaching style. So Simon, welcome to Talk L&D podcast um, as our first guest. Um, and would you like to just start off by telling us a bit about um, your career and how you started out the BBC? What motivated you to originally go into journalism? Ooh. Words. Um, when I was at uh, school, the only time I ever did anything worthwhile was um, when I was about 14. And my English teacher, who's a lovely old hippie called Karen Osler, all beads and braids, um, set us some homework to do to write about my first love. And I was like, oh, God, I'm a boy, I'm 14, homework about love. Mm. Uh, anyway, so I sort of sucked it up and I wrote the thing and just handed it in without second thought. And then um, what happened was uh, the week afterwards, um, when Mrs. Osler was saying in class, so we've had some lovely stories about my first love, um, but there's one story in here which was absolutely stand out above the rest. Uh, Simon, please, stand up. Oh, this doesn't sound good, because normally when I had to stand up, it was a bad sign. And she said, this was so beautiful. It was so original. It was so distinctive. It moved my very heart. I thought, what on earth had I done? And it turned out that everybody else had written about their first love being a boy or a girl. And I'd written about music. I'm not quite sure what the psychology of that is and what it says about me. But I'd written about music. There's a John Miles song from the 1970s that goes, music was my first love. And it will be, I won't sing it to you. You don't deserve that. <laughs> um, but I think that marked me so much about how I could do things with words. I could be creative, original, use words in such a way. That was the moment, I think, that set me off into a career in the world of words. Wow, I love that. It's amazing. And like you said, something a bit different, the unexpected. So do you feel like the unexpected and doing things a bit differently has been a bit of a theme for you in your career? Absolutely, yeah. Um, when I went to university, I read natural sciences at university, maths, physics, chemistry. And I did that because I thought I wanted to be a teacher um, because I was really inspired by Mrs. Osler and some other teachers at my school um, who really helped me along. And it was just a a usual state comprehensive um, so I really benefited from their support and so I wanted to be a teacher and that would enable me to teach maths physics and chemistry um, but what you may have noticed about me already in our short acquaintance is I am incredibly remarkably stunningly superficial and um, so what happened at university was I joined the university radio station uh, because I had exactly the right gifts for uh, being a DJ i.e. I love the sound of my own voice and I like music as well. Um, so I started DJing and it went really well. And I got taken on to work in local nightclubs. Um, and this was back in the 80s, um, end of the 80s. And I realized that I was getting paid like several hundred quid for doing two or three hours on the radio and then in a nightclub. And I've got lots of free beer. And it seemed for the first time in my life that girls wanted to talk to me. Um, so all the pointers were saying, this is the way to go, mate. So um, I became a DJ for a while. 
Wow. So then uh, it was like a great adventure. I bet you saw all sorts of things as well, being a DJ. Having um, So how did you go from being a DJ then in nightclubs into the BBC? What was your, your journey? Well, I, I think I was disappointed to discover the limits of my superficiality, which is there's only so many wonderful things. Yeah, there's a great sound. Okay, coming up <laughs> later on the big FM. Um, it starts to wear thin after a while. Um, so uh, I thought about something else I could do. And I did love broadcasting. So I started to work in the radio newsroom and really enjoyed that journalism and um, then realized I had to do a proper qualification to do that. So I applied um, to the BBC to become a news trainee which is some flagship scheme they have to try and train oiks like me to have a, at least a vaguely reputable profession. And I was taken in by that. Um, and then the BBC in that training scheme decided that they preferred me in television rather than radio. Uh, good job this is a podcast, because I can say to you it's undoubtedly because of my dashing good looks, my sort of mix of Tom Cruise, Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, James Grant. It's just an incredibly potent mix. And no wonder, Louisa, you're fanning yourself and feeling like quite hot. Um, you're only human. I yeah, well, done for, well done. Well done. Well done for keeping it all together, Louisa. <laughs> I know. I've actually, I've actually, the reason I wanted you on this podcast, I've started a little Simon Hall fan club, actually. I'm going to pull my T-shirt out in a minute, which is oh, that yeah. I'm Simon Hall. Yeah. I know, Louisa, it's massive. I just get stuff online from it all the time. Um, anyway, so, um, so yeah, so the BBC decided they wanted me to do TV. Um, so I went into TV news and um, I did TV news for uh, quite a while. Um, it's a wonderful job, great career. You see so many strange things and meet amazing people. But I also felt that the stories I was doing, which are only a couple of minutes long, I could actually do longer stories. So I challenged myself to write a novel. And then bizarrely that, well, actually the first novel was dreadful and got junked. And the second was pretty dreadful and got junked. But about the third one was okay and got published. And then others got published since then. It's just about storytelling. I like to do long stories in novels. I like to do short stories in news. I like doing presentations when I'm teaching, just writing a, a radio comedy um, for the BBC, yeah. which is due out August, September. Just stories, stories. And as you rightly say, people, people, stories, characters, wonderful life. And if you can sum those up in words, you're going to do all right. Amazing. Yeah, people, stories. I think that's, I mean, I think when Alex and I have talked previously about, you know, the, the sort of real skill for 21st century is emotional intelligence and and people and if you've got people skills i think it's so key and i think storytelling is the oldest thing we have as humans before we had pens before we had papers before we had computers how did we share knowledge it was the elders would pass down stories to the next generation and you we still find in in sort of caves and sort of drawings that are thousands of years old and it's it's the greatest thing story you know when you're a kid you you like stories don't you tell me a story um so i think it's such a fundamental part of who we are as humans to connect with each other is to share stories so i, I love it i think it's, it's brilliant um so going back to sort of the bbc thinking about your sort of your career um and just looking at how you um sort of face challenges did you have sort of any big challenges working at the BBC that kind of built your resilience and sort of what were then how did you sort of overcome them? I think the first challenge was one that so many of us face in life it's the imposter syndrome oh, because yeah. uh, I walked into the BBC and just thought my god yeah, what, what on earth would they want with me my parents were news, news agents I was a working class kid from the state comprehensive it's going to be full of brilliant people. I'm going to be found out. And I was really, really quiet and really, really nervous to start with. 
um, until I started to realize that everybody was just the same as me. Everybody has doubts about themselves. Everybody wonders if they're up to the job. And even though there were some great people around me, um, they had those doubts as well. So I think that was the first thing, um, just overcoming that. And that, that for me is one of the biggest hurdles in life. And if I may, I'll just tell you a little story about something I did on imposter syndrome. My main charitable work is going around schools, particularly state schools like my old one, to try and help youngsters aspire to careers that they may not otherwise have thought about, like media, like writing, like television. And um, I did one at a, a school in Cambridge year before last, and um, I was talking to them about some of the secrets of success in life. And one of them is, is overcoming self-doubt. And I didn't mean this to happen, but it's so powerfully memorable. I'll never forget this. I, I said to um, the audience, there was about 100 youngsters in the audience, um, 16, 15, that sort of age, right, who here suffers self-doubt? And about half of them put their hands up, so about 50. And then what happened was the guy standing next to me was the head teacher of this school, really charismatic, powerful man. He put his hand up as well. Wow. And then some of the other teachers put their hand up. And I put my hand up, and slowly everyone in that room put their hand up. Wow. So self-doubt, it's a basic human characteristic. We all have it. It's one of the great big things you have to get over in life. And it's healthy. We should doubt ourselves. We should think, am I doing this well? Could I be better? That's really healthy. But it's not healthy if it overwhelms you and stops you fulfilling mm. your potential and ambitions. Yeah, it's a really powerful story that actually, Simon, because I think, you know, so often people look at people that are successful and think, oh, you know, you've, you've, you've done it, you've got it, you're really confident. And actually they don't see that behind that everyone's a human being with vulnerabilities and I think that imposter syndrome is something that affects everybody. And, you know, it's men, women. It's one of those things that doesn't discriminate, does it? We all experience. And like you said, it's just about how you overcome that. Um, so what, do you have any tips for somebody that might be, you know, a leader or somebody that's trying to move up their career that has those, that self-doubt? Were there any tools, techniques that you use to help yourself overcome it? The most powerful I have ever learned and I've ever seen put into action is, is, is the simplest and it's just unbelievable. Um, and it goes like this. And I'll tell you a little story about this as well, if you don't mind, because we're talking, you've, you've lulled me into talking about stories and I could do forever. Um, but I have a very, very good friend, probably my best friend in the world, whose name is definitely not Steve. Okay, it's not Steve. Don't ever think he's called Steve and he's from Exeter. Don't think that. <laughs> Um, but if it was, um, there was um, an occasion where Steve was um, was fancying a, a woman, and he'd fancied her for ages, and he'd been hankering after her, and he'd been sort of making various overtures in that traditional male bumbling, hopeless way, which I'm sure, Louisa, you will know extremely well. <laughs> and um, he was getting absolutely nowhere. But in the end, I think she probably just got fed up. She said, like, all right, I'll go out for a date with you. And he was so excited. So... Um, I talked to him beforehand, yeah, you know, brush your teeth, another thing that men forget to do and all that sort of stuff. And maybe iron your shirt and change your pants and all that sort of thing. Um, but anyway, uh, he went out for the day and then I phoned him um, the next day, uh, later on in the day to say, how'd it go? He said, oh, it went great. Absolutely great. Um, right, what happened? He said, well, I told her about myself and my life and my family and my job and what I like to do and all the stuff I've read and all that sort of thing. I said, great, yeah. yeah. And what about her? What did you find out about her? Oh. Uh, mm, yeah, actually, not a lot. I said, <laughs> so, you know, what happened just now? And he said, he said, well, that's the funny thing. You know, I've sent her two or three messages about, you know, a great night and want to get together again, and she hasn't replied. I said, I have no idea what went wrong there, Steve. It was not Steve, obviously. No idea at all. 
Um, so um, the moral of the story is listening. Listening mm. is one of the most powerful arts in life. It's one of the most appealing, one of the most attractive. So many people want to talk, like me. Um, so many others like to listen. And if you can listen, listen to people, listen to what they're really saying, trust, mm. listen, that's really, really powerful in life. People, you get a long way with listening to someone rather than just talking out. Yeah, it's really powerful. Actually, we were talking about coaching in our last podcast and coaching as a coach is all about listening and hearing the things that maybe aren't said. Um, and I think 100%, you know, so often there's that thing, isn't it? Sometimes people listen to respond, but actually just listening and holding space for people is one of the most powerful things you can do to help someone be seen. It's really, really powerful. I love that story, by the way. It's brilliant. <laughs> not called Steve, all right? If you meet Steve from X, it's not him. Uh, no, but do you know what? No chance. <laughs> it's quite interesting because that does happen quite a lot. Um, I was going to ask you, have you, you haven't had a similar experience on a date by any chance, have you? Um, I mean, yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I mean, it's been a long time since I went on a date, but definitely um, that thing where a man just rocks up and thinks you just want to know all about them and you're like okay <laughs> that's the that's the opposite of imposter syndrome isn't it that <laughs> you know sort of sometimes we perhaps need a little bit more because i think sometimes people when people are nervous ah overcompensate you know, yeah i think people yeah. overcompensate yeah. and i know yeah. sometimes when i'm nervous if you know if you meet somebody and you're like <gasps> you're like, you know, you might have a crush on them or you're just in awe of somebody sometimes. You're a bit like, oh, panic and you, <laughs> you just ramble. I, yeah, I do ramble. anyway. I sometimes, yeah. I did it recently. Yeah. I met somebody and I was like, oh, I think you're really inspiring. And I was like, I went away afterwards. I was like, oh God, just must have looked like a rambling idiot. But, <laughs> you know, we all, we all do it. We're all human. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's such a great story. I just, just whilst I've got it, just, I was, so just one of the things you said when you were kind of talking through the story is that in the early stages, you wanted to be a teacher. And it's kind of interesting that you went, had that adventure, BBC and uh, so being a DJ and then the BBC. Now you've kind of come back to teaching. It sounds like it's a very big part of what you do. Um, so you've been on this kind of this journey, you know, your own sort of version of the hero's journey, you know, the hero's quest, you know, you, you've, you've kind of, you had this idea, you went on, you went out, but you went off, off on this adventure and you've kind of come back to that sort of central idea about yourself. Mm. I'm thinking about people at the moment. I've got a, a lot of people that I work with who are a little bit lost at the moment in terms of what to do next and partly COVID, partly time to think and reflect, you know. What would you what, what what advice would you say say to somebody who has sort of um, is is thinking about that career change and sort of um, you know a sort of um, maybe embarking on a new adventure for themselves? What would mm. you what tips would you give them? Well, it's, it's funny you should ask because I I did a webinar um, about two or three weeks ago about cracking a career change because effectively I've had <laughs> two or three now. Um, and I talked a lot about the practical stuff, about knowing, you know, what skills you have and how to network and all that stuff. But the most touching part, that, that it's really hard to tell on a webinar, but you, you get a sense when people went quiet and really listened and reflected, was one little part when I, I said, it's important to be true to yourself. Um, I believe this life is a wonderful gift. Um, we probably only get one, although that's never been proved by the science, and I doubt ever will. Uh, got to do the best you can with it. Um, and that's for the world around you, but also for yourself. Um, look into yourself. What is it that really makes you shine? What is it that makes you fierce? What, it, what is it that makes you happy? 
and mine has always been helping other people and teaching and passing on my skills and i'm just very very lucky because i know you wouldn't believe it but having recently passed 50 um i reckon i've probably got about another 10 to 15 years of reasonable energy and brain power left in me before i sort of toddle off into on my zimmer frame into the corner of the old folks <laughs> with a blanket stuck over me um, mm. so it was a conscious decision because it means so much to me what will i do in cambridge i want to pass on what i've learned over the years to the entrepreneurs who are coming up the leaders who are coming up the next generation who are coming up pass on what i know about communications and public speaking and the world of words and how beautiful they are and how they can really help you get on in life and help those around you so really the key is to look in yourself sit down and be honest and what really motivates me and try and follow that path. It's like a strong sense of purpose there for you, Simon, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'm bombarding you with, with stories today. But um, the other one I alluded to at the school about the other two teachers, apart from Mrs. Osler, who really influenced me, um, was Nigel War and Jerry Lewis, a maths and a chemistry teacher. And I'll tell you why. It's because I was a horrible kid at school. I was suspended and excluded and I was always fighting and being lippy. I was really unpleasant. And I was walking down the corridor in my school um, just something like a Tuesday morning, just being my usual cocky strut and like really cool pain in the butt hall self. And Nigel and Jerry leapt out of a classroom, uh, grabbed me, dragged me inside, locked the door, closed the curtains, sat me down. And I thought I was going to get beaten up because this is the mid 80s, perfectly possible. But actually what they did was they, they gave me only five, 10 minute grilling about how I was being daft because I had good brains, I was eloquent, I was witty, I could be charming when I wanted, rarely, but apparently it was possible. Um, people followed me, they listened to me, I could do so much with my life or I could screw it all up the way I was going. And I was so taken by what those two men did, made that little plan for that intervention that I did change my life and I did do all the things I've done from BBC to writing, radio, TV, Cambridge, the whole lot. Don't think I would ever have done it without them. And that, that taught me very early on the power of an intervention, just a few minutes. And every I time I teach lot. now, I want to, um, to honour the noble legacy of those two guys, and I hope I do. Yeah, that's great. I think a lot, a lot of youngsters could really do with that conversation, actually. Not just youngsters, but, you know, people at university and coming out of university and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, it's, it's um, a sort of sense of directionlessness, you know, mm. is, um, is the thing. Mm yeah i think anything when anytime you go through a transition isn't it so whether yeah. you go from school to uni when you go to uni into career and like you say when you go through a career transition or even things like life like if you're going through a divorce if you're going through a bereavement that's when your world you know the world that you know is shaken up a little bit and sometimes that's when you just need that help in hand to say you know you're going to be okay you know you go this way or this way and it's all about that perspective and, and mindset and it sounds like those teachers at that right moment gave you that and it sounds like they had a really big influence on you in that moment and have they have they inspired you anyway in how you teach now and how you work with people now yeah and i think you're absolutely right and i hadn't thought about that it's a really perceptive question um and i think part of the reason i bonded with nigel and jerry is because they weren't teachers who just talked to the class it was all interactive you know, they were always setting questions or exercises or making you involve yourself mm. in a conversation with them. And a fundamental of my, my teaching, the way I construct any course, whether it's a week long, a day long or an hour long, is I always look at it. If there's more than about three minutes of me talking without some interaction, whether it's a quiz or a thought point or a discussion or whatever, I will say, no, nope, that's not enough. We've got to have an interaction because otherwise people will nod off. 
And the reason it works well, I think, is because you, you think about the most boring lectures or talks you've ever been to. They've always been a monologue, haven't they? Person up front goes, the odd rhetorical question, or what do you think? Or hands up who thinks this? It makes you involved in a conversation. I suppose it goes back to my, my point about Steve, who's now three years on, I think, from his date, and is still waiting for this woman to get in touch, and I fear maybe yeah. waiting for some yeah. years to come. Um, if that had been a conversation, rather than a monologue, he might have done a whole lot better. You know, you know, you um, so, so one thing, Louisa and I were saying, you know, we were struck by, you know, your skills of facilitation with the virtual training, you know. Did you, in order to become really good at that, did you, how did you learn to transfer your kind of teaching, classroom teaching skills to working in this more virtual environment? Well, I thought very carefully about it and realised the limitations. I mean, neither of you have seen me in the flesh, but it's, it's mm. quite common for me to be, I won't just stand at the front, I'll go dipping into the audience and I'll go into yeah. the class and wander around and a lot of it is the body language. Of course, you can't do that. Um, so I just made sure that there was plenty of interaction. You have to be even more intent on making mm. sure it is a conversation. So whereas before I could probably get away with talking a bit longer because I could mm. move around and that would engage people's attention. This, when you're online, it has to be very, very interactive. Otherwise people will just look, because you know they're there and there's probably another screen around them. Maybe there's phones yes. there. They'll be looking at their Twitter or whatever. Emails. You've just got and, yeah. to keep them in, keep them engaged with you. And that means keep poking them, keep thinking or keep <laughs> mm. answering. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So it almost sort of magnifies that need, you know, to, uh, to, 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 to facilitate and ask those questions because you had um yes because that's that's absolutely how your sessions were they were only an hour but we covered a lot of ground because mm. every few minutes there was some sort of activity a question to answer or you set us little tasks yeah. and that sort of thing which are very good yeah and and guessing songs as well i remember that that was quite a good <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 <laughs> i right. think you did quite well at that didn't you as i recall yeah yeah but you know i think you're 100 right i think that's when I know when I'm sort of delivering training, it's like, how do you interact and keep people on their toes? Because I think you've talked about the power of listening and, and it's a two-way thing. And sometimes I think people forget in, in teaching that that's still got to maintain that. It's, you can't just talk at somebody. And mm. actually, I think when you're facilitating, I think there's a beauty in people sharing their experiences so that people learn from each other. And that just makes it a bit more multi-dimensional as well. Um, don't know what your thoughts are on that. Science, yeah, science. it's absolutely true. Yeah, I'm, I'm always listen to people's experiences from the group as well, um, because they're they're offering their expertise and mm. they feel good about that, and other people enjoy it. And it also, you'll always get people who are more shy than others in a group. And um, you know, I, I I will not let when I'm teaching in person, nobody will get away from that session without contributing because I will pick it up and some I will get them and I'll bring them <laughs> out and I'll make them do it. But one of the most powerful things you can do to get others to contribute is for them to see people contributing and then create the po positive, warm, supportive environment around. So people think, mm, I've got a few things to say. And one of the most joyful experiences I ever had teaching was I think about six or seven years ago at a writer's festival in Winchester when I was teaching crime writing. And there was a woman on the, on the course called Rebecca. And um, she was very, very shy to start with, really, really shy. It was a day-long course, didn't say anything in the first session. And in the second session, she said something and the third session she said a lot and the fourth session she was just contributing all the time Amazing. and she's since gone on to become multi-published because I, I helped her after that and mentored her and what we did all we ever did and this is really critical you know a lot of people I've helped people get 
get published as writers. I've helped them with their businesses. I've helped students get into the media. I've helped lots of people. And they always very, very kindly afterwards say, thank you so much. I couldn't have done it without you. You, you helped me so much. I never made them good at what they do. All I did was tell them, give them the gift of confidence to believe they could do it. That's all it is. Mm. Amazing, but such a powerful gift. You know, I think yeah. if you've got that, it helps you go really far, doesn't it? Yeah, a, little bit of encourage, a little bit of encouragement, you know, is, can be really transformational for people, I think, actually. You know, that positive affirmation, you know, that sort of the art of the possible. One thing that you said on your course that really struck with me, because I thought, actually, that's not just a, that's not a rule for writing, it's a rule for life. You said, um, I wrote it down, uh, what do you, so what do you call a writer who never gives up? published <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah and i think that's you know because it's 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 the not giving up i think is the thing yeah yeah that's absolutely right and when i used to interview journalists for the bbc on the rare occasions the corporation was foolhardy enough or there was no one else around put me on a board to interview uh, for aspiring journalists i would have one question i would always ask at the end always without fail and it was this um I know this interview means a lot to you. I know you've really worked hard for it. I know you're desperate to get this job. You want to be in the BBC. It's a great goal of yours. What will you do if I say, no, it's just going to send you a letter saying you're not getting the job. What will you do? And there was one letter, there was one answer I always wanted, which was, I'll be back again next month or the month after or next year. And I will keep coming back until I get the job. <laughs> I'll wear you down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's what you want. It's what that's you want. Right. You've got to do that. You, know, yes. you don't get anywhere in life by folding. Totally. That's right. That's right. The hard, the hard, the things that are worthwhile are very difficult, I think. Yeah. yeah. Is that, well, I think you mentioned at the start, it's a hero's journey, isn't it? It's that ability. Hero's journey, yeah. That's to right. Yeah. Keep going and pick yourself up when you fall. And actually, I think mm -hmm. the greatest challenges are our greatest teachers and can be the greatest transformational experiences of yeah. our lives. If you're, if you're fearless enough to keep pushing through, that pain and that of the rejection and of the of the failure to keep picking yourself up i think the only real failure the only real loss in my view is giving up actually you know that's the that's 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 the only thing that really is the fatal bit is 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 giving up yeah Seems, I, would, I would agree with that absolutely yeah. uh, if you don't succeed then you learn and move on totally. again and one of the one of the things i said also in the cracking a career change webinar i think which chimed with people and there was people on there, remember, who, who only recently, there was one woman who'd only a day ago had lost her job and she was really upset and she was really worried. And I completely get that. But I said something at the end that I think a lot of them found surprising, um, but I will still stand by. I said, you at the moment, many of you will be feeling desperate. You'll be feeling really low. You'll be thinking the world has ended and there is no hope. I pretty much guarantee you that in a year, and probably a lot less, you will be saying, that was one of the best things that ever happened to me. That forced me to readjust. It got me out of that nine to five miserable grudge of a routine that I've had for so long. It forced me to find out what I really wanted to do. It forced me to expand my mind, expand my skills, go in a new direction. I'm so much better for it. I'm into that. I'm into That's that. That's great. Yep. Yeah. Um, so just going back to sort of being an author, we've talked about persistence and sort of never giving up. And you saw, I think you referenced that your first um, novel was awful and terrible. And then you said, what, what, what motivated you? What kept you going through, through writing? Because I, I like to imagine it's, it's pretty relentless of having to just keep going and, and being very disciplined. So how did, you, how did you have that discipline and have the motivation to keep going to, to write as many books as you had now, eight? 
Yeah, I, I refuse to be beaten. I've got a horrible stubborn streak in me. I just I will not give up and I will keep kicking this thing until it actually works. Um, that was good. But also a sense, you know, we've talked about finding out what you want to do, a sense that I absolutely wanted to do this. And although it wasn't going to come straight away and it wasn't going to come easy, I was still going to darn well make it come. So that the stubbornness, but also the understanding that this was the right path to follow, it would really help me. And, and you know now, both of you have been on that session we did on story writing, um, it wouldn't have worked and it wouldn't have been fun and you wouldn't have got something from it if you'd got a miserable old git at the front there going, oh, I don't know why you bother with this, no fun at all. <laughs> because I love stories, story writing, saying to you, that's great, you know, you can write this, you write that, and we have fun. I mean, I really enjoyed it, probably more than you did, well, I because know. I love talking <laughs> about something which is so so important to me so finding the right path and refusing to be refusing to be beaten you know you, you don't become great at something just like click overnight that's really important to remember you've got to work at it simon could you just you know you mentioned so you run your own business as well as this and you know you say you are you're a super busy man could you just tell us a little bit about what your business does now yeah it's called creative warehouse i'm based in cambridge but work in london and all over the place and um uh, I suppose the the easy way of describing it is, is a media public relations communications agency but actually I don't see it that way um, because that for me implies that you say you wanted a job done maybe it's a website written or produced you would come to me and I would then take what you say and do it we don't do that um, if you came to me and said this is what I want to do I'd look at it and say yeah that's really good are you sure about that that might not be working as well as you think and we push back um, and we actually work with people rather than just take money and run we help them to get to the best possible outcome for them. So we do a whole range of stuff from media relations, public relations, um, videography, photography, websites, design work. The idea of the, the company is if you come to me and say, I've got this communications problem, we can deal with it, everything you need from making it look pretty in terms of images and design to getting the words absolutely right, doing the photos, doing the videos, doing the website for you. And, and because of my background in teaching and training, if you need help to present, pitch, public speaking, you know, I'll do that for you as well. Mm. Amazing. Very good. Great. Amazing. Good. So you obviously got your books, you've got your business, and you're also a tutor as well. How do you manage your time? How do you find the time to fit all of this in? That's a, another really good question. And funnily enough, I was just writing a blog about that this week. Um, and some of it is, of course, time management, boring stuff. But here's the bit which I think is really, really important. Um, and the blog this this week, um, which is coming out of the weekend, actually, I think it's um, um, polishing your um, your productivity or something like that. But anyway, it's finding that key moment in the day when you are at your best. Mm. And for me, it's early in the morning. And, and this is how I got writing my books. When I first started writing, and, and I was putting nonsense together on the page. I was working all day for the Beeb um, doing news, which is pretty brutal. And then coming home in the evening, having something to eat, and then trying to write a book. And unsurprisingly, my sulky old brain is knackered and doesn't want to know. So what comes out is awful. Um, so I tried. So like, instead of going to bed at sort of usual half 10 and getting up with the alarm, going, oh, God, I've got to get up. Uh, I started going to bed much earlier and getting up much earlier. And I found, wow, I've got the energy, I've got the creativity. Uh, finding that key moment for you, whether you're an owl, whether you're a lark, whatever it is, that's really, really powerful. And the way I structure my day now is that I get up fairly early. 
if I've got a problem to solve, and for example, this morning I was working on the messaging for a music festival, which has had to move out of coronavirus times into a new time. How are we going to explain that? How are we going to sell that, if you like? Um, I just sit there, think, get it all out. And then later in the day, when my brain is more tired, I'll write down what I thought. But that precious creative time, when you are at your peak, it's critical to make the most of that and find a way to really harvest it. Otherwise, you lose that brilliant, I mean, this great sludge in our heads. Wow, how does that work? <laughs> ideas, inspiration, imagination, but it's got a peak moment. You've yes. got to work with it for that. Yes, yes. It's like we are our own scientists. And it's, I think it's a, uh, you've got, almost got to study yourself a little bit, haven't you? And sort of just to work out where, where you do your best thinking. And, and also, actually, I think um, the only thing what I've discovered is it's not necessarily sitting in front of a computer. It's out striding around or jogging along the river or whatever. You know, it's, uh, it's the time of the day and the activity, actually, for those kind of, you know, those gritty little problems that you sometimes mm-hmm. need to solve, you know. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah the power of the great outdoors do you, get, do you spend much time outdoors simon do you find that where do you find your inspiration for your books actually yeah and, and alex was absolutely right um sometimes it is getting out whether it's a walk or a run um, and it's wonderful and i run around cambridge um for those of you who don't know cambridge it's uh, completely flat apart from one hill in the middle which when you're used to flat is a killer um, <laughs> i tend to run, run along the river and i've always been a, a fan of wildlife and along the river you get swans and ducks which you often see but occasionally you'll get a flash of iridescence of a kingfisher mm. and um early this week i saw two herons having a face off or probably a beak off would be more <laughs> accurate and they're magnificent birds you have never seen a sulkier grumpier looking bird in your life because they sort of sit there looking like oh, i'm really miserable today and then they flash into action when there's a fish or a rival around wonderful wonderful birds so yeah uh, nature really really important to me and for the first time in four months i went to the cambridge botanic garden at the week and it's like oh the smells oh the tranquility oh the colors oh the textures of these oh missed you darling i missed you so much it's wonderful (laughs) absolute liberation so nature has been a great help through the coronavirus crisis yeah i think it's been um, a great help to a lot of people and i know i know people that weren't really that active before and all of a sudden they've got really active and it's like Mm. you know through every adversity there can be good and i think if this lockdown's made people be more active and spend more time out in nature that's can only be a good thing for people's health and well-being you know and i think you know the uk is a beautiful country it really is i think sometimes we forget because of our weather isn't brilliant but there's so many from the lake district northumberland and you know north wales i spent a lot of time in cornwall um you know and it's just the inspiration that can come from being around nature and slowing down a little bit as well to let ideas come in yeah yeah absolutely yeah taking the time letting the ideas come in and one of my favorite quotations from lit is um what is this life if full of care we have no time to stand and stare and it's absolutely true and you know when i'm teaching writing um one of the things i say if you want to write a book i'm gonna i'm gonna say something now the first time I, i ever said this in front of a class i remember i got a reaction like i've advocated going out committing murder and then eating the corpses afterwards it was like oh shock you can't mean that and I, do you know what it was that I, I said they should do i said they should turn off their email and their twitter and their facebook and all that and just think and create rather than tweet tweet bleep bleep and they were like wow we might miss something so yeah you might miss your creativity you yeah. might miss the brilliance mm. of your brain it's remarkable if you that's interesting that. like, whoa yeah whoa. 
but but you see it's interesting because all those sort of um, educational and social drivers which are all about you know connectivity and quite superficial communication as well it's just it's going to be interesting to see how that changes the way that people work and the quality of work that people do for the next generation you know maybe um gen z now whatever it is that we're on you know because yeah because people people are constantly connected to something you know mm -hmm. it's a sort of you know, uh, people sleep with their mobile phone by by their pillow. Oh, no, no. I don't. <laughs> Just in case. You need time away. You've got to have time away. Oh, yeah. You know, maximise your abilities. You've got to have time away from screens and mobiles and connectedness. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, moments when you stop and reflect that things can drop in. Um, and again, I think that's lockdowns made a lot of people slow down. I, I know for me, pre-lockdown, I felt like my life was quite relentless and speed. And I was quite grateful for a moment where I think people forget we're human beings, not doings. And sometimes we need to remember to just be. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> <laughs> You've said two things yeah, yeah. so far, which I did not recognize. One was, I love that, human beings, not doings. And the other one was something I'll, I'll ask you about later when we get on. It's called emotional intelligence. What's that? Yeah. Oh. I'm a man, I don't understand that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only joking, honestly. No. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I think, I think, um, yeah. I think, I think often, often they often say women are more emotionally in tune, but I think men, I think this is the area that more men are coming more awakened to it. We've all got balance isn't it? There, there, there's an assumption often that women don't need help with emotional intelligence whereas men do and i'm not sure that's strictly true yeah. <laughs> we'll no, just say no. just uh, yeah no we're all, we're all human we get one what divides us hang on, hang on let's flip it around what yeah. unites us mm -hmm. pretty much everyone i ever work with is like they want to look after their family they want to look after their friends they want to do pretty good in life they want to make a difference like there's an awful lot that unites yeah. us mm. and a very small amount that actually divides us. Mm. And actually on that, I think that's the beauty of storytelling is that when you share stories with each other, that's where you connect and you realize how much we do share. I know from when I've traveled, what I always love about traveling is you speak to people, no matter where I've been in the world, and I'm lucky to have traveled a bit, people want to love, be loved and have a sense of purpose, regardless of what language they speak, regardless of what passport. And I just think that is such a human thing that need to connect and feel like purposeful. And I think it's really beautiful gift when you meet people from all over the place that you realize we all share this experience of being human that is a roller coaster essentially for all of us. And I think if we sort of realize that more and broke down those barriers, I think storytelling is oh. such an amazing way to break down barriers and such an amazing way for people to connect because when people hear a story there's you know oh that they're a human being too but also you have that thing where i'm not alone other people feel that you know yeah. quite a powerful experience it's funny isn't it that there are so many stories that just sort of make sense to people you know the sort of stories just stories that just resonate with you effortlessly and of course, it's because, you know, your experience is probably broadly the same as mine, <laughs> you yeah. know, and so we can relate to it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And just yeah. reaching out and being normal. Mm. I mean, one of the things I do when I teach public speaking, often here at Cambridge, 
is um, I'll say to the group, you know, I'm going to do something now which, which you know, probably hasn't been done in this lecture theatre before in the history of the University of Cambridge, which is going back quite a while. They're like, oh no, what's he going to do? Because they're pretty much in tune that I'm a bit odd now, the way I do things. <laughs> and then I play them a wonderful, iconic video of Freddie Mercury and Queen doing Live Aid in 85, particularly um, Radio Gaga. Uh, and, you know, it's obviously, it's not the usual thing one does in the Cambridge University Lecture Theatre. But the point of it is, if you look at it, look it up on YouTube, um, remember the context that this was a concert which had been anticipated for at least six months. It was one of the biggest events the world had ever seen. It was massive at its time. I see massive. Queen were barely functioning as a band at the point. And he had 100,000 people in Wembley Stadium watching, hundreds of millions more on TV. And the way that brilliant, beautiful man strode out, looked the audience in the eye, every single one of the hundred thousand of them, and said, come with me, I'm going to take you on this fantastic journey of music. And he stood up and he sang and he presented and he performed. It was absolutely one of the finest pieces of performance you'll ever see. And that's really helpful for public speaking. You know, it's not you're the enemy, I'm scared of you. It's like, we're all going on a journey together. I'm going to stand up and take you through it. And here we go. It's magnificent. You can't look at it without having a little tingle go down your spine. I challenge you. I'm going to go watch it. In fact, as you're saying that, I realise, you know, actually how the arts can really unite people, can't they? You know, music, stories, really brings people together. I'll ask you actually one final question. What's your favourite story? What's your all-time favourite story? Do you mean in terms of what I've read or seen? Um, you pick whichever one. Okay, well, my personal favourite story is, is Nigel and Jerry and the way they changed in just five minutes of my life, um, mm. just because it's so personal. And because when I tell it, I can see other people. Just I can see them thinking about teachers who are so mm. important to them. I can just see it. And in terms of, of storytelling and, and other things I, I have read or seen, um, I don't want to sound like an old fool, but you know, Great Expectations, Charles mm. Dickens' masterpiece, is an extraordinary book. And we kind of forget how very, very good it is um, because we're so used to it now. Everything from the characters, those rich, vivid characters, to the scenes, the storytelling, and the twist at the end. People forget the twist um, because we're so familiar with it. I'm not going to give it away because I hope others will read it. But we're led all the way along to believe that something is going to be revealed at the end about who's helping Pip. It doesn't quite turn out that way. Yes. It's fantastic, just masterful, masterful storytelling. So that's one of my absolute favourites, book-wise. Film-wise, uh, you know, Shawshank Redemption is an absolute masterpiece. Mm. With a one, again, with a wonderful twist. A mm. wonderful twist mm. at the end. Mm. Absolutely fantastic. I love the, the optimism in that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's quite a joyful twist. It is, and the <laughs> optimism, despite these horrible surroundings of yeah. murder and yeah. viciousness and persecution. Yeah. And the other one I often use when I'm talking about storytelling is, um, is Citizen Kane, uh, the Wells masterpiece. It's worth watching, and it's black and white, but read up a little bit about it at the time, about what a, an extraordinary um, turnaround it was in the culture at the time. He had to keep it secret from the studio, who didn't really know what he was doing, because it was so really transformative. The techniques he used, the technology he used, the reverse chronology storytelling, so it begins at the end and then goes back to the beginning. Mm. It's an absolutely magnificent example of storytelling in a very original one.
Amazing. Great. Yeah. Amazing. Thanks for sharing that. Alex, have you got any other questions you'd like to ask Simon? I just want to say thanks very much, Simon. It's been such a pleasure. You know, we um we've never met in person, but you know, we've we've had all these Zoom <laughs> meetings and various different training for forums and that sort of thing. So <laughs> so this has been one of the really nice things to come out of a lockdown, you know, is this um these sorts of uh, relationships that you build with people um who you just we wouldn't we never have spoken if it wasn't for um COVID and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, so it's been really good, and um, I hope I hope you'll come and join us again. Uh, well, you know, yeah. I would love that. And uh, you know, yeah. meeting you both, although we've only, as you say, done it through a screen so far, isn't it amazing that you you kind of get that rapport anyway, yeah. even just yeah. like that. So maybe when maybe when all this is done, maybe we would meet up, and that would be a yeah. lovely thing. Thank you. Yeah. Mm. that would be great in fact we could have a, i think we could have a the storytelling storytelling group meetup i think some people would like that wouldn't they yes um, wonderful group of people yeah, yeah it was good it. it was really good yeah that sense of community again you know in the virtual environment and what's possible because mm. in a way it's, it's surprisingly intimate actually that's what yeah. i thought that's my yeah. experience that you know because it's very supportive and and even though yeah we were you know we, it was all electronic and that sort of stuff there was a sort of intimacy that you managed to kind of create amongst the group that meant that people felt you know safe to 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 you know to share their work very personal work in some instances you know which again it changed my view on what's possible um with this method of teaching and then um, i must pay tribute to you as well because you went off and did your own series of webinars which i know were also extremely valuable to people and much enjoyed i had a go <laughs> and it's still work in progress but it did it that's right it kind of gone inspired me to do to do something similar with coaching 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 in um, coaching in times of change and um yeah it's been that's been that was really good but but again you know that was your um you know that was your storytelling um session that kind of put that idea in my mind and um so so extremely grateful simon thank you very much and yeah. Um, yeah thank you very much simon it's been great to have you on um and just your energy and your your stories have been fantastic fantastic so thank you so much for coming on and being our guest and yeah hopefully we can have you on again so My pleasure. My thank pleasure. you very much for listening everybody and oh simon do you want to do a shout out for your books or a website where people can find oh. out more <laughs> <laughs> i think people have heard enough from me today already um, if you're interested in more my website is thetvdetective.com t-h-e-t-v-d-e-t-e-c-t-i-v-e.com you can also find me on twitter and linkedin always happy to make new acquaintances yeah simon's blo simon's blogs on linkedin i don't do twitter but i do do linkedin and i've been following them on and you're very generous with what you give away simon in terms of your ideas and um thoughts and your little um top tips for public speaking um all these sorts of things are really golden so um i strongly recommend that people our listeners um find you on linkedin and um and sort of benefit some from some of your teachings as they sort of as, as you roll them out yeah very kind i like to share what i what i've found out over the years on linkedin i think i'm simon hall communications but yeah i, I do try and put stuff out which is useful for people and um, yeah. if it helps then it makes me happy great brilliant well thank you very much simon thank you alex and thank you to all our listeners for listening today um and tune in for a new episode too bye bye, bye. bye.